0: Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. I'm pleased to present b grass-fed whey protein isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure and often contain junk sweeteners especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the SuperFuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Hi, everyone. I'm so pleased to introduce you to a very interesting guest, an old friend of mine named Gordo Byrne. He is a prolific blogger and tweeter these days on matters relating to his favorite subjects of family, fitness, and finances. He has recently uh, changed his uh, publication operation. So he has two different wonderful newsletters, which I invite you to subscribe to. One is called Gordo Burns Endurance Essentials. So it's a lot about training, especially for endurance goals, but also for peak performance, anti-aging, longevity, being a strong, fit, smart, resilient human being physically as well as mentally. And then his other blog is called True Wealth. And this talks about matters relating to family, parenting, uh, getting your priorities straight in life, being self-reflective about how you spend your time and the true meaning of wealth, which, as we know, is involving time and freedom and how you uh, choose to live and the choices that you're able to make. And his story is so fascinating. So I do start out this wide ranging show where we cover a ton of topics, including some nitty gritty endurance training and athletic training matters, but also some really interesting philosophical reflections, which was just what I was looking forward to connecting with Gordo because he has tremendous depth. And you'll hear you'll pick up this theme of self reflectiveness throughout the show where he's rethinking his career path. He's rethinking his approach to training and he's always kind of weighing the cost and benefits and the return on investment. Uh, That is an ode to his background as a high finance guy. And I think we really do start with a bang where you get to know him and his incredible background where he had these amazing disparate careers where he was a one of those young guys you read about, those big time, high income earning uh, investment banking guys. So he uh, fled off from his home of Canada to London to go make the big money and then went over to Hong Kong and was deep into this uh, immersive career where he was living uh, on the big time and not healthy nor happy and looking out the window wondering uh, what else was there. And he made this amazing abrupt transition at the age of 30. And that's when I, First heard about this, uh, you could call him new person on the triathlon circuit, but certainly much older than a lot of the guys that had been going since uh, college age. Uh, but into his 30s, he became an elite ultra-distance triathlete performer. So he went, you know, full whole hog into the money scene, and then he transitioned and went deep, deep into the endurance scene. You know, performing and training at a level that few other humans have ever done. And now uh, as a family man uh, living the good life in Boulder, Colorado, he offers a lot of wisdom and a lot of reflectiveness, including uh, the parenting journey with his three kids, uh, oldest being teenage and great posts and a lot of sharing and a lot of great insights. So we talk about parenting, we talk about training, we talk about aging gracefully, we talk about the concept of being prudent with your financial decisions and your career path and having that line up with your values and goals and dreams and how you wanna live your life. How about that? Is that enough of an intro to entice you to listen to Gordo? Okay, thank you, Gordo Byrne. Gordo Byrne, it's been a long time, I think six years since I was there with you in Boulder in your wonderful home, you've traveled the world and finally uh, settled in. Uh, it must be a top spot if it, if if you chose it.
1: Yeah, I was. My uh, my wife Monica tells me that I'm very fortunate that she grew up here and this is where we ended up.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Incredible. Yeah,
1: she's a true local.
0: Yeah, she was. She was cool and fit and hip way before Boulder became the hot spot. Yeah. She gets yeah, to sit back eye, and watch it, yeah,
1: the whole thing.
0: Um, I think we should start with your background when we're talking about how you've lived all over the world, um, but especially that amazing uh, career track with such disparate and uh extreme you know checkpoints on the map. So I'd love for you to take us through that as, and then you know winding up how we got here to your your current um, endeavors, mm-hmm. especially the the blogging.
1: Okay. Uh, Born in Canada and spent most, most of my school years in Vancouver and then started moving east. So the first move was to Montreal, which is where I went to university. And then after university, I ended up in London, England. Worked there for four years doing private equity and investments, which was great. And then I had the opportunity to move out to Asia, uh, and get promoted, uh, at quite a young age to partner, uh, in my private equity firm. And I was there for six years full-time and then an additional year kind of working part-time when I took a leave of absence, doing a bit of consulting for them. And the reason I took that leave of absence was I had started doing triathlon and enjoyed it a lot. Absolutely loved the training, The project management nature of it, the whole deal. And I just wanted to take a summer, uh, two months. I took two months off, came to Boulder, lived in the mountains above Boulder, and trained for a race called Ironman Canada in Penticton. And I was racing as an amateur, had a great race, uh, second amateur, and went back to my job and negotiated a one year leave of absence and I left and went down to Australia, New Zealand that winter and I never came back. I I created a completely new life built around fitness and athletics. And I maintained consulting uh, roles using the skills that I had built up in the previous 10 years in finance and private equity, which was great income but I managed to figure out a way to cover my basic expenses just by being a coach. I, I, you know, I never, one of my favorite books is your book. You know, can you really make a living doing this or doing that? And the answer for me was no, I could not. Uh, I could make a little bit of money, but on a per hour basis, I was less than minimum wage. Um, But people always connected with my story and I was able to create a nice niche coaching business, helping fast and aspiring age groupers qualify for Kona, qualify for world champs. And we had a lot of success with that. And I kept that going for quite a while uh, with a couple coaching partners. And then ultimately, I decided to focus on my family, stepped away from racing for 10 years. Um, I've got three kids. And they're now at the age where I've got time coming back into my life, <laughs> and I've decided to get back into shape. Not that I was particularly out of shape uh, when I was focused on the family, but you know, I think both you and I, when we say get into shape, we mean something different probably than the the general person walking around. We're we're talking about competitive shape. Uh, and I want to see what kind of level I can get back to really looking to my late fifties, early sixties. It's going to take me a while because of the length of my break, but Mm. I'm patient and Mm. I, I love the process still do. It's a lot of fun.
0: You might be facing some competition that's on this similar life arc where all of a sudden they have a bunch of time and resources and they're going to be faster than the the guys in the 30s and 40s who are busy raising kids and working at a career.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I left it because it was too, too difficult. It was too much time. The races were, you know, the races are on the weekend, which is when you don't have any coverage for the kids because they're not in school. So it it just the whole thing was just becoming really stressful for me. And I didn't like where it was going to take my family. Hmm. And I was fortunate. I had way more athletic success than I ever expected. And so when I stepped back, I was I I was I, I mean, even when I'm not in competitive shape, I'm still way better. I'm a much better athlete, much stronger than I was as a kid than I was in my early 20s when I was completely out of shape and overweight. And so I really took those lessons from sport and I've incorporated them into my core life, completely separate from competition and and racing. And that's been the long-term value of Mm. changing my life and and going down that competitive athlete um, path.
0: I guess we should uh, reflect back on that career because it was quite intense as you say it was uh, high income well-paying so it's easy to get immersed into that type of lifestyle you write about this nicely where all of a sudden your standard of living is so high that you're trapped in your high-paying career and you know neglecting other parts of your life in your case your fitness which is so amazing because then you Turned the coin completely over and became one of the fittest people on the planet. But I wonder what it was like, you know, immersed in that career, and then being able to extricate where you thought yourself, it was only a summer off, and then a year off. And then I guess the further you got away from London and the ringing bells of the exchanges and all that you realize what the hell am I doing there or something?
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point. I, I think many people in finance and in the corporate lifestyle um, make a mistake in that they view a spending as quality of life um, and the ability to acquire goods and services as having a good quality of life so I I asked myself, you know, what is living well? And living well for me today and then, this is around the time of my 30th birthday, uh, living well does not include um, spending a ton of money. And I realized when I left Hong Kong, initially for two months to come to Colorado and live up in the hills, was that the spending that I was doing wasn't Buying me anything it was I wasn't benefiting from the money that I spent, and I very quickly saw when I moved down to New Zealand, I eventually I ended up in Christchurch and when I ended up when I was down in New Zealand, my cost of living was one twentieth of what I was spending in Hong Kong, so mm-hmm. you know five cents on the dollar my my budget my annual budget just collapsed um and it didn't collapse because i was living frugally or denying myself anything it, it it shrank because i was just focused on what i wanted to do and the way i wanted to live which at the time was a whole lot of swim bike run it was being outside every day with my friends and being part of a different type of community the athletic community the endurance community which is a great group of people highly motivated fit very healthy and it really brought out the best in me and that is what made it so sticky that's why i wanted to stay with that lifestyle i could tell it was good for me i felt good and at the same time i was just getting better and better and better at the racing and i think when you're on that upswing and if you're somebody that does have the potential to be very very good at something you know the first three years certainly you're getting better Every, I don't know, Mm. three to six months you're stepping Mm. up and you don't start to plateau until you've been doing it for about, for me, it was probably, you know, around five years. And then, then it starts to get very challenging in terms of eking out those additional gains. And Mm. it takes a lot of work over a long time to get to the very top, but you can, you can get, if you've got potential for something, you can get to the top relatively quickly and by quickly you know i mean like three years a thousand days you'll definitely make quite a bit of progress if you're able to stick with it day in day out and you enjoy the process and have good mentors and that's what i had in new zealand i had some very good uh, mentors as well as training partners a limited number of training partners one or two uh, guys at a time and they were totally into it as well and we had this very we had a virtuous circle Where we would just help each other keep it rolling day in day out. When we were encouraging each other, we weren't trying to kill each other in training. Mm.
0: And you were coming to this. It's not like you were picking up triathlon again after your youth years. This was kind of a new thing to you, and you weren't you weren't this uh, old time athlete picking it up again. It was just uh, a, a hobby that you you fell upon. Do you think you had a natural Inclination and talent for it, and also that work ethic from the business world was able to be redirected to to bring you the the, the great success that you had in a relatively short time
1: so uh, this is the key part I, I think of the story. I started swimming when I was thirty years old. <laughs> uh, so when if if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, well, I, I, you know I'll never learn to swim because I didn't I wasn't a swim kid. I my advice would be I don't think so I I think you can learn physical skills late in life I've done it I've done it more than just swimming but I went from zero in swimming to uh, a 20 minute 1500 long course meters and it took a lot of work to do that um and I, I got my Ironman swim down to about 50 minutes, which is which is good for somebody that started from scratch. Good for anybody.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> well, my It's wife's up near four- the front, people. It's up near the front.
1: My wife's a 46, but she let out in Kona. So she's a different level. Um, and that she benefited because she could swim with the men back when the men and women raced uh, together. But it's not it's not just um, swimming. I've done it with skiing. Uh, You know, uh, after during this 10 year break, I had to take care of my family. We had a few years where we wanted to learn how to ski as a family. And I was able to, to apply the same principles of endurance to a different area skiing, which is just swimming is touch the water a lot. Skiing is touch the snow a lot and get yourself some expert technical instruction. And Focus on improving your skills and you get ski fit or swim fit while practicing those skills. It's the same principle. It works great. And I, I know you've picked up other things later in life too and become very proficient at them. So it's not just my story. If you, if you look for it, it's out there. You you can you you can do it. And I think that was that that was a key lesson. And and it, it's broader than just athletics. What, what I like to say is I, I talk about hidden talents. And, we, and if you give yourself exposure to a wide range of things that you're interested in mm-hmm. and that engage you, quite often you'll find, wow, it turns out I have talent in this area. And then you get all the positive feedback from the world because you've latched onto something where you're talented and you can just ride that curve and it's it's a really effective way for two things it's effective to cope with aging to develop mastery in other areas maybe not necessarily physical areas but it's also a great way to cope with the transitions you might have in life the and and for those of us that were elite athletes at some point we will not be doing elite performances and what a lot of those athletes do is they move laterally so they move into a new Sport. So in my case, I went laterally into long distance mountain biking, um, the Leadville 100. So it's, it's a race that su- suited me back then in my early forties, it's very high altitude and it's a long event and it's way easier than an Ironman because you get a lot of rest on the downhills and you don't have to run a marathon at the end of the day. Uh, it's, it's a challenging course, but it's not the same as running a marathon when you're tired. And so I really enjoyed it. And so that's something that I would recommend to people too, is if you're struggling in your main mm. pursuit, consider, well, maybe I can get more satisfaction from a lateral move, picking up something that'll challenge me in new ways. Um, mm. So I did it with mountain biking, done it with skiing. And I've you know, frankly, I mean, it wasn't very enjoyable, but it's what I did with parenting and fatherhood. And it's it's like you know I got these three kids, and I want to do the right thing for them, but I'm gonna have to upskill myself because I, mm. I'm I, you know I'm lousy mm. at being a father. I mean, no, nobody's great out of the gate. I think I think some people may have had the benefit of an exceptional parent mm. as a role model that trained them or exceptional teachers. And the teachers are really what helped me, the preschool teachers for my kids. uh, I would have short meetings with them. And I'm like, what are you what are you doing at the preschool? What are your techniques? Wow. And 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 they would help me. And so then the kids are getting reinforced with the same techniques at school, at home. And and they benefit, too. And then and then again, it's the whole idea of this virtuous circle where. And and the two things, the two key things, are are really um, de-escalation. Uh, teach your teach yourself and teach your kids to de-escalate situations, and then persistence. You know, don't give up. You know, you'll mm-hmm. you'll have bad days, you'll make mistakes, and you you just stick with it. And that's really what the kids need from us. They need us to be engaged, persistent, and teaching them to de-escalate situations so it doesn't spiral out of control and nobody's having fun anymore.
0: I guess when you perceive yourself as a lousy parent um it could be that someone who's highly focused on an extreme endurance athletic performance at the elite level is not inherently not going to be a a, an excellent parent because their their life is too you know focused on uh these these all consuming peak performance goals whether it be career in the in the finance world if 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 that was your time or whether you're athlete and then uh as you write nicely you had to you had to kind of put the old gordo aside and become selfless tireless and all these things where you know the endurance athlete needs their sleep they need their rest they better have it quiet at nap time all these things are thrown out the window all of a sudden as you're thrust into this new challenge and to your credit having a desire to do it right rather than squeeze all these puzzle pieces into you know force them into the uh the puzzle and keep everything going at at some level probably uh mediocre on on many fronts if you're if you're trying to squeeze too much into your life.
1: My brother has uh my brother says it's the same Gordo, different game. So The My core personality has not changed. He wants to win the
0: parenting game. He wants to be the the gold star at the preschool, best parent of the month. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's painful not to do it right. Mm. And that was a big motivator for me to change my approach with my family life in my early 40s. Because when you're living with your spouse and two babies and a preschooler, it's too painful to shut them out and not do the right thing for them. And so I made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna change the game. My my I'm not gonna be trying to compete at an athletic level. I'm gonna try and take this world class attitude and apply it to family life and see what I can learn and see how good I can get. And it was awful. It was not <laughs> fun. It was it was misery many days, but as an elite athlete, that's not, that's not a problem. Mm. I I, I know I can handle that. And it's, it's the higher purpose and you need it. You need a higher purpose. And there's no higher purpose than doing the right thing for your children. It's, it's, it's ingrained in all of us. And to turn away from that purpose would have, I would have had to either ignore or admit that I wasn't the man that I thought I was. And I didn't want to do that. And, and so Mm. I just said, you know what, I'm going to I'm just going to lean into this mm. and I'm going to get some coaching, just like athletics, <laughs> and I'm going to and I'm going to just iterate. I'm going to do it and and I'm going to do it every day and I'm going to get better at it. And sure enough, I did. And by the time you get better at it, the kids have grown up and you're not dealing <laughs> with preschools anymore. I, I got a 10 year old and 11 year old and a 14 year old and i've been hiking with them and and doing all kinds of stuff with them and they're a lot of fun to hang out with and we've got this relationship that we've established over their entire lifetime and so i have a very deep credibility with them and we have a bond with each other and they're fun to hang out with yeah. at the same time you know i'm getting older my energy's going down their energy's coming up and we meet and i'm at that point now where mm. it's great we can do fun stuff and mi- mix it up and they have different interests, um, you know, and, but we have we have different things that we can do together. And again, this period is temporary, too, because our oldest mm. is 14. She's a really keen swimmer. And I can already see her life tracking different from me. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I, I I swim, but, you know, I'm, I don't really like sitting in the bleachers. I prefer to be in the pool. and And so I'm not I'm not sort of a swim parent that's just hanging out, following my kid around. I I like to be more active with the kids.
0: So you talk about the same Gordo, different game. And my reflection as a former extremely competitive athlete and then a parent afterward is I don't know if those personality attributes uh, easily transfer over. You talk about, hey, you went and got a coach, just like you did when you're an athlete. You leaned into it, just like you did when you're an athlete. Uh, but in many cases, I think, you know, uh, presiding over the, the the mess and the uncertainty and all those things that are different than what you needed to do as an athlete, where you needed your schedule and all, all these different attributes in place, um, that seemingly requires a big adjustment in your mentality and in your competitive drive or whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm teasing about you wanting to get the gold star at the preschool being the top parent, but I think we have to let go of a lot of these uh, deep personality attributes that made us uh, competitive in the competitive setting and realize that parenting's different.
1: Very different. No positive feedback. So for many years for me, you know, you can't, can't do a benchmarking test. Mm. Um, nobody gives me a performance review. Um, not getting paid. You know, Nobody's giving me a raise. Kids yell at me every night when I'm putting them to bed. Um, it's a very different uh, environment. But if you look for the good moments and you look for the positive feedback, it's there. And I'll give you some examples. I took a lot of pictures of the good moments. And, you know, sometimes I just scroll the iPhone and be like, well, I'm miserable now, but I, I I look pretty happy in some of these pictures. And the kids are always having a blast. And that's something that I would say, too. We we have very happy children because children want to be with their parents. And uh, and so we are fortunate in that sense. So we get the positive feedback from the happiness of the kids. The other thing is, if you if you're doing a good job, the people in your community will tell you your children will be well-adjusted and fun to be with. And the way they are at home is not necessarily the way they are in the world. Likewise, with siblings, the way siblings are in the house is definitely not the way siblings are out in the world. Mm. So you need to watch that you're not assessing yourself based on the toughest parts of your day. And then you also, I think, need to be careful that you... um, I had a another parent, a mom to give me a tip when I was having a particularly rough stretch. And she said, you know, look, you got to stay back from the edge. And, And what I took that to mean is put yourself in environments where your family's seeing your best side, your best environments. So for me, that is hiking in a forest taking the kids out and just going for a walk, getting out of the house and just exploring nature and hanging out. And they love it. They've they've done it from a, a young age now. And and that's an idea is focus on what's my best environment. And if you pay attention, you'll also notice, well, what's my worst environment? Where What is the environment where if I'm going to lose it, I'm going to be in that environment. For me, it's in a car or I'm having to concentrate with people around me, with the kids making background noise. And even if they're happy, it rattles me because I'm having I, I, I'm not great at that whole multitasking thing. So I'm having to drive and not listen at the same time. And it just wears me out. So I need to reduce my worst environments. And then my family sees a better side of me. Now this is related to why I was stepping back from the training, because when you're training so much physical energy, goes into the training, you don't really have much left afterwards. You just want to sit in a chair, put yourself back together and recover to get ready for the next session. And that's a necessary part of being an elite athlete. The the simplicity and the single-mindedness of most of the days in your year. A family situation or even a human situation Any interaction between people is not like that. It's a completely different, you touched on it, you know, the skill set. It's a completely different skill set. The skill set is the ability to understand what's going on with other people and just have some back and forth and being much more flexible. Well, a world champion athlete is not flexible. They have their session at their time and their goals. And if you want to come to that session to get a little bit of that champion aura on yourself, you're going to be doing their session. You're, they're not interested in calling audibles. And that's why they tend to train in small groups, small mm. communities with very reliable partners. And I wasn't a, uh, I wasn't like an Olympic champion or anything, but I very much embraced that philosophy. And I did have to let go, completely let go of that philosophy. And that's part of the reason why I stopped racing because the races were nudging me to back into those behaviors. Um, And and now as I'm coming back, what I've done is I've sort of put in uh, a system of monitoring my fatigue and my readiness to do the same kind of thing, to keep me from going too deep and getting too tired and not being able to address my family, which is much more important in the larger scheme of things, particularly at this stage in my life
0: so you're picking and choosing all these wonderful attributes of being a dedicated competitive athlete with goals and enjoying the uh, the process so much but you're making an effort to throw away some of the things that you know i have all these reflections and misgivings now about um these these behavior patterns and sort of a mindset and lifestyle attributes that really don't serve anyone else and don't even serve uh the individual in a way and i'm talking about just uh the misplaced competitive intensity and the over over becoming overly consumed with um the results and the uh the competitive experience so um is that kind of you see it that way that you're well, you want to get back and you want to bring that heat back and that that intensity to the uh the gordo game but without the baggage i guess
1: well, there's two things there. Um, most most any individual with a type I was we did so in in our private equity business, we did personality testing. they They ran a bunch of tests on me when I before I was going to leave because they wanted to find out what they should look for in somebody trying to replace me. Wow. And so it was a very competitive group of people. Finance tends to attract those types of people. Now I was at the most competitive side of this competitive group of people, so I was extreme uh, type A. So if you know, if I'm not if I'm not competing, like in terms of athletics, I'm going to be competing on something else. And the feeling I had back then, in my twenties and thirties, was competing on all fronts at all times. And if you're somebody that has that feeling, I would say, choose your game with intention because you're going to, you can compete at some very bad habits, drugs and alcohol, Uh, compete with number of sexual partners and just compete at being a total head casing and just crazy. So for me, athletics gave me a very positive way to compete. Um, I still overdid it at times but it, overdoing it with bike volume or swim volume or something it you're just making yourself tired and eventually you could make yourself sick but it takes a ridiculous amount of exercise to actually overtrain yourself and i did i did that a couple of times <laughs> but for most people it, it's not a thing so if you choose your game with intent i think that's uh very important now roll forward now i'm older um I'm getting back into the competitive game, but the game's totally different. You know, if we look at these times at World Championships now, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, the elite men are trying to go 7:35 in Kona now. Okay, <laughs> and and if that that is well, let's put that in context. To win an Ironman these days, you have to be have the fitness to break the world record. When I was racing. So a world record time from 15 years ago is just a standard time now so the 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 competitive field has has greatly increased. So but the competitive field from 55 to 65 has not increased by the same amount and that's probably because most people are far more sensible than um uh, maybe me in that they they don't necessarily want to do that much exercise at, at this age. And so I look at those, I look at the physiology required. I look at the time commitment required. And I'm like, this this looks really enjoyable to me. This looks reasonable. I can be competitive with my friends that are still racing at a high level and I can enjoy the process. And the time commitment is not all consuming. Mm. And and so in some ways as you get older, it gets easier because as well eventually your kids grow up your life's going to simplify and athletics can help fill the void that many people feel in that empty nest phase of their life mm. and and it also done correctly metabolic fitness is very important for healthy aging metabolic fitness as well as maintaining your your strength and your muscle mass so if you do it right it fits into all my goals for successful aging. So you know it's it's really quality of life across my lifespan, as well as being engaged with my community, my friends, uh, my wife's an athlete too, being engaged with my spouse. So it all kind of fits in now, but it didn't fit in when I had young kids.
0: And you're saying to be an elite 55 plus racer, you don't have to risk your health and devote your entire day like you did when you were an elite so mm-hmm. it can be it can be a nice convenient fit it's easier i like that yeah
1: but it, yeah john Hallman says there's no such thing as a old elite there's just elites he's a bit right. tough on me with that yeah
0: <laughs> I mean, one of my, one of my goals in the, uh, in the future is the 95 plus high jump world record. And the world record is 0.97 meters. For those of you not familiar with the metric system, that's about three feet. And so it re- literally entailed jumping into bed when you're 95 <laughs> to break a world record in the high jump, which is easier than the current world record of eight feet for, for the elite. So I like that just hanging in there and, uh, yeah, um, making it fit. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's, it's, you know, if 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 you're healthy, and you've got good mobility, and you're feeling good, then that gives you an option to ramp it up for a couple months to prepare for an event, and and I think that's probably a better way of looking at it because i i i i think what would happen to most people is if they get this single minded devotion like you know this this um you're just on this laser beam track and you're in your 50s you are going to wreck yourself you, you you need to be taking this holistic yeah. long term view of developing yourself in many different ways you know if you're your metabolic fitness your strength, your mobility. You need to be athletic and balanced. And then while you're doing that, you can, you can build up towards these events. And if, it, it'll, if, you can, if you can do the training for the events, it'll be prudent to do the events. If you can't, yeah. well, hopefully you're old enough. You're not going to do what we used to do when we were younger. Is like, well, we're just going to sign up for it and figure it out later yeah. how I'm going to get through it. I mean, I, I think that would be a particularly bad idea after 50.
0: Uh, well, it's a bad idea to um, to try to short circuit the process of, you know, being patient. And here I am recovering from my heel surgery because I sprinted too enthusiastically over the previous couple of years and got myself into the dead end of the doctor's office. And it's such an illuminating example of like, hey, this is the kind of stuff I did all the time when I was... Um, you know, a young athlete, I mean, they tease me in the doctor's office, because I said, how long has this heel been bothering you? And I said, Oh, around nine (laughs) months. And they're like, Nine months. What are you talking about? Are you serious? And I'm like, sure. I have all kinds of stuff that bothered me for nine months or 19 months. It's niggling here and niggling there. But they thought that was an extremely long time to be dealing with an injury. So I had to, you know, re educate myself on, hey, what what are we doing out here? And and the first priority being that, that stability, mobility, flexibility, being able to just show up rather than be on the sideline is goal number one. Forget about your racing time and being beating the, the competitor in the in the next lane.
1: Yeah, stay in the game. That's that's you know I've I've coached I've coached age group world champions in their 60s and 70s. And yeah there's a they're they're definitely exceptional individuals but the thing that makes them stand out is the ability just to keep going keep doing mm-hmm. the training stay healthy month in, month out, year in, year out over all those years. And it slows the inevitable decline. Um, and, and I think that's, that's key. The other thing that I would say if somebody's listening is to remember, particularly if you're a new athlete or a strong athlete that's coming to a new sport mm. or a veteran athlete, an older athlete, ignore the optimal program, ignore it. It will hurt you and wreck you. You need to be very conservative in terms of your approach and very patient because a lot of your instincts are going to work against you. So this desire to get fast and do high intensity training, your body's not ready to support it. The other thing is the approach that you're going to use, particularly if you study elite athletes, is going to be completely inappropriate. In an amateur athletic environment, you have to use very small doses, and your dose and the intensity that you use needs to be scaled down to where you are at the moment rather than where you want to be. So it's Mm -hmm. going to be a little bit of quickness that you're going to incorporate rather than a whole lot of searing, very painful training. So I point people towards quickness, strength, and stamina being the three foundations that they want to be thinking about in their in their program. And the quickness in terms of just to show like, what do I mean by a small amount of quickness? Take one percent of the time you spend training in a week and you can spend that on quickness. And that's going to be enough. That'll be enough to actually give you a dose. It's not going to wreck you. And you'll need to become dedicated to daily mobility. And what I recommend there is just a 10-minute habit. Establish Mm. the habit first. And if you establish the habit, you're going to feel better in your body. And when you feel better in your body, it'll be easier to extend those sessions uh, because you're going to be starting to get the payoff. But at first, you're probably going to be so stiff and rigid I mean you you'll be thinking why am I even doing this? Well you you're doing it because you got to loosen up your body. And I had that leaving finance. I remember the first time I got a massage, it it was it felt like on my traps, it actually felt like there were golf balls inside my traps from all those years of desk work. And that was the wonderful thing about triathlon, swim bike run, it really loosened my whole body up combined with as an elite i did a lot of yoga all winter and spring down in new zealand i do 3 90 minute sessions monday wednesday friday as part of my program but that i i don't have that kind of time in my week now so I, what i do is i do a minimum of 10 minutes a day and that can keep me keep me going and it can let me Continue to exercise while I'm dealing with niggles. So use active recovery as opposed to using a a total rest approach, which doesn't do my mental health any good. I mean, it it must not have been fun coming back from the surgery. How, How long were you shut down?
0: Well, I'm still not running uh they said 3 to 6 months of no running but i could do just about everything else cycling and strength training and lifting heavy weights and all that oh, so um it's nice to you, you have to find a place to to redirect that energy and and yeah. work toward your healing um you talk about making lateral moves which is such a great suggestion and i think um just on that on that topic um i think it's also important to embrace the idea that um you may have you know, achieved your peak when you won the Ultraman World Championship at whatever age, at the most ideal event that anyone could come up for you, which is that crazy three-day double Ironman distance event. And then anything that's off that you know, maybe you're not the the most adapted Leadville mountain bike guy, but you're going to be out there and be a member in the pack. And I'm certainly not adapted to high jump as I was for Olympic distance triathlon, uh, but just embracing the challenge and enjoying the process, even if it's not your signature event, I think that's a wonderful skill or, or mindset to to try and adopt, especially as we age and try to find things that light us up without mm-hmm succumbing to the measuring judging forces that gee you know this is never going to match what i did in my signature event
1: yeah and i mean you know i i had 10 years off running i tried to get back twice and i just kept getting hurt Mm. and it wasn't until i embraced a a different approach and it's really simple it's just no back-to-back runs Mm. and 10 minutes of mobility every single day that That's the fundamental thing. And whereas what I was doing before was lots of little runs, but mm-hmm. I, I was never giving myself that time to recover between the runs, even if they were short, like two mile runs. And as a result, just kept just kept getting hurt. So I think sometimes if you can persist and get some advice in terms of different things to try... If you, if there's a listener that has a passion for something, you can get back. I mean, I, I I've been running pain free since July first. I've had little niggles, but it's you know I'm past that initial mm. uh, streak, and it's been it's been great to actually bring that back uh, into my program. I, I I you know I always really enjoyed running, and I missed it when it was gone
0: yeah a lot of people move away from it over over the the timeline of life but i think it does have those weight bearing bone density benefits it's a fundamental human skill even going fast and sprinting i would recommend for anyone especially for fat reduction benefits and just aging gracefully and and maintaining that ability um but mm. yeah, it takes takes a lot of uh, prep work And um, another thing you wrote about was the pendulum between strength and endurance, which I feel like I've been struggling with and trying to maintain these disparate skills seems to be, uh, in some ways, it seems impossible to me, like trying to become really competent at 400 meters, high jump, and then also be maintaining endurance for things like speed golf or just general endurance to be able to go out for a couple hours um, might be uh, too daunting. I don't know. This tell me about this pendulum.
1: So I, with these, here's what here's what I recommend people do. And first off, you have to acknowledge that in life, you can't have it all, and you're going to have to make choices. And there's a cost to everything, and there's a trade-off between things, and you have to acknowledge that. So it's just, just the way it is. If you want to be an exceptional parent or an exceptional athlete or an exceptional CEO, exceptional, whatever, there's going to be costs in other parts of your life. Many of these costs are hidden. You'll never see them. Hmm. Um, the cost of the, I call it the cost of the status quo, but let's come back to the original question, which was this pendulum and with strength, I think, well, strength and endurance. I think it's important for athletes to recognize and acknowledge that they're not the typical person in terms of strength and endurance. So when I am not strong, I'm still strong relative to my community. When I am not in race shape, I'm still fit and healthy relative to my community. And so you you need to establish a reasonable baseline in terms of your expectation, and I would say the reasonable baseline would be health rather than performance. And so that would be so evaluate yourself based on a healthy baseline, and choose your reference set carefully. You know, if if your if your friends are a, a bunch of total nutcase ultra athletes, you might think that you have no stamina. When actually your stamina is pretty good, and 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 this focus on health is is one way that you, I find you can actually get through to somebody is think about well, look, what is my healthiest training weight? What 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 is a healthy amount of strength? Like, how strong do I need to be in life? I mean, you know, can I can I pick up my kids? Can I pick up my grandkids? Can I move my luggage around an airport? Um, you know, these types of functional activities, functional strength, functional mobility. And then over top of that, you're going to have these goals which arrive for whatever reason. You might want to dig into, you know, where your goals are coming from. It's usually community, environment, reference set, or it might be some sort of unfulfilled need. You know, I want to win races because I want respect or admiration Mm -hmm. and that you can get that other places. You don't need a race.
0: Hey, man, how's your sexual function? a skilled practitioner puts the gains wave magic wand onto your magic wand. And after a series of six to 12, very brief treatments, which are painless, but extremely effective, you get real results. Gains wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. So,
1: but with these strength and endurance things, what I recommend people do is touch them every so often. And what I mean by that is you think about the seasons of your fitness year and you're going to have a, you're going to have a strength season, a mobility season season, a longer endurance season. And so they're coming in and out across the year and you're never getting too far from them, but you never go like all in. And that was a mistake I made in the pandemic with my own training. I I went all in with strength and work capacity training. And so I spent most of the the lockdown period and then the period after. So if we say that that pandemic period, let's call it about two years, very much training like a crossfitter, if you know yeah. what I mean, work capacity stuff, uh, a lot of cleans, a lot of body weight exercises, occasionally going really heavy in the gym. So I swung too far towards that strength and power athlete. And I looked great. You, you, you know, people that say you can't gain lean body mass in your 50s, not my experience, I got stronger, I felt more muscular my clothes fit better. It was great and um, felt good. Uh, Really enjoyed it. But my metabolic health suffered. And when my metabolic health suffered, the way it appeared was it it appeared because I would get really tired going hiking with my wife or my son. Both of them love to hike, do long hikes. And they can't tell because I'm, you know, I'm an experienced athlete. I kind of keep my mouth shut when I'm suffering, but I'm like, wow, I'm just like so worked and I couldn't figure out why. And the reason was I didn't have this, this low end endurance fitness, which had really been a strength of mine, um, as an elite and then subsequent to being elite. And it, and it lingered for a long time, but I had detrained that aspect. I had gone, the pendulum had swung too far away from endurance Mm. and really what last year was about was bringing back that endurance focus so I could get that metabolic health and I could enjoy my life with my family more I could do I could be kind of the the athlete I used to be in terms of having some stamina and being able to not only do long events but enjoy these longer hikes and climbs and that's been a it's been a process it's ongoing Um, but I've had, you know, I, I didn't, so I started at the end of April and honestly, I didn't have anything to show for it until December. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a relatively long time horizon. That's kind of what's something you got to bear in mind. You might not be getting a whole lot of feedback in your first six months and you just got to stick with it and trust the process.
0: Now, concurrently, do you feel like you've lost your edge in the, strength power uh crossfit performance categories so
1: yeah so this this is so i'm you know i eat my own cooking as a coach as a writer as an athlete and what i mean by that is i do what i tell people to do i'm i i don't hold myself out as you know a, a the coach that's sitting in a chair and not looking too healthy and just telling everybody what to do because they're an expert and they happen to work with a lot of fast people. I actually do it. And so I noticed I did a set of squats in December, uh, two by 25, and I got really sore and I was surprised and I was like, wow, there's information in this soreness. And so right now... I'm in a build-up, build-back kind of strength phase. And it comes back very quickly for me because I didn't I, I, ha, I didn't let it go too far. So I didn't do much strength training across the fall and the summer, and that's why I was getting sore. But it's not like I took two years off the gym. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get back in touch with my strength and the gains come back quickly if you never get too far away. And so my leg press is already going up pretty good. And so I I suspect that by early February, it'll be time to kind of hang up the strength focus for a little bit and get back to uh, the endurance focus. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to try and increase my run frequency uh, and see if I tolerate that, because by then I'll be getting close to enough months that hopefully my body's ready to do a bit more uh, running and just see how how that happens. And then in the late spring, the weather gets good and we start adding back some longer bike riding. Mm -hmm. So it's very much a traditional approach a triathlete might do with a strength focus in winter, then a run frequency focus, and then a balanced focus with the overload being done on the bike. Uh, It's it's worked for athletes that I coached Mm -hmm. over the years, uh, both veterans and younger
0: athletes it seems like this real talk here is countering some of the um the, the imagery we get from the the, the today's fitness influencer <clears throat> who appears to be trying to master everything and you see these popular challenges on social media, like, can you deadlift 500 pounds and then go run a five minute mile or or things relative to that, or big guys who are uh, showing that they can also run a marathon. And certainly they're fantastic fitness uh, specimens. And, um, you know, Mark Bell, my buddy is training for the Boston Marathon, which will be an amazing achievement when he finishes because he was a world-class power lifter with these crazy, you know, squatting 800 to 70 pounds and deadlifting a pounds and what have you. Of course, that was a different era, but trying to um, have it all in real time seems like um there's you're hitting up against this barrier that you describe
1: yeah i'm it's it's fun to watch. I don't think it's particularly good for anyone's health i, <laughs> I think I think the extremes might be places to visit, but you don't want to move in. It, you know I, I I think i've I've done some extreme things in mm-hmm. my time. And I mean, it was okay. I guess I got some value from it, but it's, it's, if you hang out there, uh, mm. as a destination, something's going to go wrong. I I also think, you know, it, it seems obvious to me, but carrying around a lot more lean body mass than you need mm. is your body doesn't want to be that big. And so one of the, one of the things uh, I, I don't think it's very good for our health, and I, I think if you dig a little deeper into mortality, you'll see you're certainly you're not going to be able to demonstrate that you're getting any benefit. Although it is kind of fun to be jacked, um, but and, and that's by the way that it's related to why extreme exercise. I don't think is particularly healthy. And when you're when you're that large, like when you're doing these huge weeks, you have to eat a wow. tremendous amount of food. And, you, and you're placing your body under nutritional stress because it's always having to oxidize. It's always having to process the calories. It's always having to produce energy. And there's a, there's an inherent stress in size, but also in high activity. And so I, I I think at the extremes, and most people never need to worry about this. I mean, hardly mm. anybody's ever going to do a 35-hour training week. But if it is, if somebody is listening and, and you you do have a tendency to be really extreme, both in volume or in size or in intensity, I you're not really doing yourself any favors. So if you can find a way to use the ultra training to work through some of these emotional issues that you have that are driving this compulsion towards size, towards exercise. This is something that I was able to do very successfully. I used the bike volume to work through a lot of these emotions that I had from my childhood, from from all these different things, from living in a big city, from my life history. And you can get to a calmer spot, a spot where you're more centered, a spot where you're less compulsive. It can be a very positive experience to mm. visit these extreme places if you get something from it if you just get wrapped up in the extreme nature i think it it, it can work against you and that and and how do you know it's working against you your body's going to start to fall apart mm. so if you're a power lifter you're going to compress your spine your joints are going to give out on you if you're an endurance athlete you're going to you're going to you're going to start really just consuming your body you're going to you're going to move into ill health And then getting your health back can be a way to to kind of exit when you've gone too far. And, you know, I have seen a few of my friends go too far. And it's sad because the exercise component, the strength training component is the best part of their life. And it's a part that gives them a lot of satisfaction. And it's, uh, it's a part of their identity. So you don't want to lose that and create this crisis for yourself because you went too far. And that would be the warning I would give people. And that's what I say to a lot of folks that there is a point where your Ironman training becomes unhealthy. And it's like, if this costs you your overall training, I don't care if you win your age group this year, it's totally not worth it. You you got to back off and try and figure out a, a viable strategy because there's a lot of people that are using exercise to manage other issues that they have going on in their life mentally. And hmm. so you, you gotta help them keep training because it's uh they can get into a downward spiral without the outlet and and the positive neurochemical benefits that they receive from their daily endurance training.
0: I guess it's a fine line, and you have to, you know, get out a piece of paper and answer a bunch of questions, honestly, um, such as, you know, is this massive amount of extra muscle mass uh, enhancing your life? Or are you dedicating an extraordinary amount of time and and mental anguish to the ups and downs of your training schedule? And if you're, if you're answering the wrong way, it's going to compromise your, your present health as well as your longevity. But I'm often reflecting on like, who's going to win the the longevity contest? Is it going to be a monk shuffling through the garden and meditating for hours a day and eating a little serving of brown rice and lentil soup at nighttime, or is it going to be some jacked guy or relatively jacked guy who can also hike for four hours, but can, you know, throw around some heavy weights in the gym and they're keeping this. And when they turn 70 and turn 80 and turn 90, it's kind of a fascinating um, challenge. But I also want to throw in like the person who's enjoying themselves, whatever they are doing, whether they're shuffling through the garden and meditating their asses off or whether they're clanking around plates um if if they absolutely love it and don't show these obvious signs of excess like injury um maybe they're maybe they maybe they're on to something yeah
1: the the game isn't won later the game's being won right now right it, it it's it's important to remember that there is no later so that's a lesson from athletics you know my my personal best times—they're they're nothing. They're, they're times. They're moments. What sticks with me actually from the whole process is the relationships and the experiences and the habits mm-hmm. that I was able to build in this lifestyle, in this endurance lifestyle. And and I think that's that that would be. So if you catch yourself, you know, it's that whole "I'll be happy when" or "I'll be satisfied when." Well, write that down and pay attention because it's usually a trap. You've, there's a part of your mind that's playing a, a trick on you. And, and what that part of the mind is is doing is convincing you that it's, it's later where you're going to need to be satisfied or you will be satisfied. You're, you're probably not going to be satisfied. Uh, I, I would say play a game where day in, day out, you're, you're winning most of the time. And there will be times when it's not much fun. It's a little difficult, or maybe you got to go do a run or a ride in the rain or it's cold. Um, but you you can get through those times. But if day in, day out, it's a slog and it's a grind and you're feeling stressed out, it that that's not winning. And you know, that I think that was probably why I was able to ramp up so quick with the endurance, is I just loved it. It was really enjoyable. I I latched onto this life. That was a lot of fun for me and very rewarding. Um, If it doesn't feel that way, and what I tell people, if Mm. if it doesn't feel that way, well, first off, you're probably going too intense. I think a a lot of people don't understand how enjoyable easy training can be. And if you're putting all this pace pressure and all this other stuff on yourself to go faster and more intense, well, just back off and enjoy it. I mean, I started by walking and hiking and then doing like uh multi-day treks and eventually that led into mountaineering but it was a really gradual ramp up um with a lot of easy training very enjoyable mixed with strength training i've always liked to lift weights i've done it since high school mm
0: you talk about this in the refrain of shifting from a high consumption lifestyle in your youth and and working hard on this goal of uh minimalism or efficient uh distribution of your your assets not not only financial but time and how those kind of weave together so maybe we should get some insights on that too is one of your favorite subjects yeah
1: the the well time is the ultimate asset and and what i recommend people do when they when they do if they want to do a personal inventory how much wealth they have is actually take a look at where they're spending their time and then also consider their wealth in terms of time so let's talk about those as two different things first thing is just have a look at your week where are you what are you doing who are you with you know how are you spending your time because i found that I was working a job that I was good at and uh, but and I was putting a lot of time into it, a lot of energy into it, a lot of travel into it, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I realized that even though they were paying me a lot of money and I was good at it and I enjoyed it, fundamentally, I was somewhere I didn't want to be. And so I needed to go somewhere else. And that my time inventory, because I was always thinking about I'd be looking out the window at, at, mm. at, at work and I'd be like, I want to be out there. I don't want to be in here. I want to be outside. Mm. And so I stuck with that. So that's that's the the time part of it. And, and an, an interesting point there was I didn't know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. I just knew that the only thing I was certain about was I wasn't in the right spot. So then I had to try some different things to figure out where I would fit in. And first I went to Australia, but it wasn't as good a fit as when I ended up over in New Zealand. The other thing is money. Um, When you're you're a big spender, you're much less wealthy than you think. So the example I use is you've got a net worth of a million dollars. Now that seems like a lot of money, but if you're spending a quarter million dollars a year, your net worth is four years. One million divided by 250,000 is four years. So if you look at your net worth in terms of time, that can give you a better view in terms of what your spending is actually doing to your freedom, your time. And if you have the ability to live in a less expensive lifestyle, doesn't necessarily need to be minimalist uh, lifestyle. It's, it's really more, your spending is focused where you want to, not necessarily all this other stuff big house, cars, fancy vacations, you can cut that. And so when I left Hong Kong, I cut my expenses. My net worth didn't change. It was the same, but my wealth in time went way up because my expenses went down by so much and what that time gave me was the ability to try different things. I realized that although I had a year off, I wasn't under pressure anymore because all of a sudden I knew I could live for a decade (laughs) off my current balance sheet. And and so it completely took the pressure off me. I I could develop a coaching business. All I had to do was manage my expenses. And I had this time. So what you give yourself. Is you you try and give yourself time, and with young people, I say, well, what do you what what are we shooting for here? I say you you want to get to the point where you can give yourself five years because a, a, an active young person that's motivated and willing to work five years is a lot of time. So you want to get your assets minus your liabilities, that's your net worth, divided by your current. Spending Get that to about five years and you've got tremendous flexibility. You don't have to stay in a job that you don't like. You have the ability to go work part time for one or two years and then have a side project where you where where you start up. I started up a financial uh, business when I was an elite athlete uh, with with a friend and it was a part time thing. And I I helped him start it it up. I used my skills. He used his time. He was the CEO. But I was able to do that because I was not working full-time on something else. So it opens up all these other opportunities, which are invisible to you when you're (laughs) in full-time employment, living living that kind of hard-charging lifestyle where you're spending money all the time telling yourself you're happy because you're going on these fancy vacations. But, you know, I, I mean, both you and I know... I mean, some of the, I mean, a lot of athletes are basically on a permanent vacation. It, it can be a, a lifestyle, being an elite athlete, you could be a lifestyle athlete, not necessarily a high performance athlete. You're just doing it because you you like the life and you're passing time. Mm. So something to think about that. That's how I approached it. Uh, I was always focused on buying myself time mm. rather than just building up assets and spending
0: seems like the statistics are pretty bad here in terms of the huge percentage of the population is living paycheck to paycheck their net worth is a month or some incredibly short duration period where they'd be screwed if they weren't slaving away just trying to you know stay above water and i know a lot of that's on the individual and their discretionary purchases but um there's some pretty big hurdles to overcome when you look at like the average housing cost in los angeles county is so high that you know the the affordability to 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 purchase a home rather than rent and the rents are out of control and it, it seems like and i hear this from young people too that they feel like their backs against the wall because just getting a routine career going is going to eat up so much of their income just to live and eat and then go back to their job.
1: Yeah, these are real issues, real issues facing a lot of people. I, um, I, I lived, I I rented a room, uh, for many years. I, and I didn't buy a house until I moved to New Zealand. And then I bought a five bedroom house for 110,000 U S because the Kiwi dollar was blown out. So I, I saved my money from 16 to 40. I saved 50 cents of every dollar I earned. <laughs> and uh, completely changed my life. So it's it can be done. Mm. Uh, when you're young, you don't miss the money you don't spend. Uh, I would say this is why you want to help Well, you want to model exceptional work ethic to your children um, so they just get used to doing stuff and enjoying working. I always enjoyed working. I enjoyed working in the corporate world. I enjoyed working as an athlete. I enjoy Mm -hmm. working now. And that's just the way it is. You want to train yourself so that you want to be active, want to be doing stuff, want to be productive. And I think I, I think it's doable. I think it, it is challenging. I also think that a lot of our spending and a lot of our goals come from the environment that we put ourselves in. And you know, the but one of the best things I ever did, you know, my early career was in London and Hong Kong. And those are two cities where it's a lot of fun to hang out if you're rich, and people that are rich with capital they didn't earn, turn up there. So you have Uh all these people around you all the time. And I still find those environments very difficult. They trigger envy in me and they're Uh not a good place for me to be. So I went out of that environment to one of the most grounded environments in the whole world, which is the South Island of New Zealand. The people down there understand Uh the relationship between work and progress. And they understand they can't have it all. And it was just a great environment to be in. I put myself in a different environment. And there's challenges to being in Boulder. Seems like everybody's my kids. It's like everybody's parents is an Olympian. It can feel like sometimes, you know, (laughs) so you have this, you know, it's like, oh, your dad's fit. But did he medal? Yeah, sure. He went to the games. (laughs) I I mean, it's a bit like that. And, And it's a different environment. But you know, I'm balanced, you know, no place is perfect. Every place has its pluses and minuses. It's fun to be here.
0: What's and, that movie where the kids, you know, had career day and then, the, you know, the father comes in to uh, to talk about their job, you know, so you're, you're going to the local Boulder Elementary School and here oh, comes yeah. a gold medalist from this board. And then, oh, my oh. goodness. Yeah, you go you go to the
1: cross country meet, it's like, oh, there's an Olympian there and another one yeah. over there. And I think she meddled. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 just the it's the environment. And it's a fun environment. It's a healthy environment. Hmm. The kids are active. And you got to keep them grounded at home because there's always, you know, there's we got kids in town that are doing 50, 60 mile weeks. Uh, and there's kids doing big volume. And you just have to say, well, look. Uh you know, sorry, you're a kid and mm. you're not doing that much. You have to, you know, you got to model a bit the being sensible at home and and not get wrapped up in the volume game before you're even out of high school or in some cases, even out of middle school. Um, these you know, the parents that know do a good job of keeping the kids balanced. I, I think it's some of the parents that get a little wrapped up in the environment that can overdo it on the kids. And and that's that's an interesting thing for the parents listening is that we, we all tend to pass our unfinished business to our children, the aspirations that we weren't able to achieve. We can tend to pass that along uh, to them. So I try and make my kids aware of what I've done, but they're like, yeah, dad, no, it didn't come from you. I I really feel that way. And I was mm. like, okay, well, maybe you do. Um, but we, we have a tendency. And so you, you have to kind of keep an eye on the family in that sense that you, you don't, push a kid towards something where maybe it might not be the best, uh, direction for them to go.
0: Yeah. And the cultural forces are really something that I became highly aware of as my kids were going through the age groups. And you realize that, um, you know, like in, in the case of my son, this little guy who loved playing basketball and pretty soon the the level of competition in the local community league didn't match his level of intensity. And so I had to, you know, bite my tongue and swallow hard and go join up with the, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the AAU uh, system, which is widely regarded just like in other sports like swimming. And, um, you know, it's super high, high caliber and high pressure, whatever it is, tennis or the junior golf circuit or wherever where they're developing these young athletes at such an age but if you don't kind of uh tap into the 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 level of opportunity then literally you're going to get you know the the athletes are going to get left behind because the acceleration is so crazy and it's you know a hard thing to kind of um stay with your values and your belief systems that little middle school athletes shouldn't be pushed to the brink with four hours a day practice but i hear this all the time from parents who seem to be walking in with, you know, high ideals and a healthy perspective, uh, but, you know, succumbing to the the incredible pressure and the energy. Same with college application. I mean, it's known if you receive a B on your report card at any time in high school, you're not going to get admitted to the most elite schools. There's just no fooling around. Even in 10th grade Spanish class, when you were chewing bubble gum and drawing pictures, instead of paying attention, you just lost your chance to get into UC Berkeley. It's pretty, it's pretty heavy insight
1: i I, yeah that's a cultural phenomenon in the united states um the uh overemphasis on uh college and Mm. the overemphasis on athletics Um,
0: Boy, it hasn't helped us in the World Cup soccer, though, Gordo. I mean, if it's the soccer tryouts are so high pressure and the you know, the the traveling team and the gold team and the silver team. But wait a second. How come we're getting our butt kicked by by Trinidad still?
1: I so I I think you need to decide as a family Mm -hmm. what your definition of success is and not let other people tell you what being successful is. And, you know, I had to think this stuff through. So for myself, uh, you know, around the time of my 30th birthday, how am I going to define success? What is it? And then, you know, 12 years later, young family got to think it through again. Hmm. What is successful? How are we going to define it? And yeah, and when I talk about knowing the game you're playing, define your own game. Don't let someone don't don't let your culture define the game that you and your family want to be playing. I would also say that if you dig deeper and you really want to give your child the opportunity to be a great athlete, you will discover that you do not have positive control. You cannot make a child a champion. All you have is negative control. You can Mm. screw them up. So your only ability is direct the situation. And when you embrace that, you will realize that, well, ultimately, it's all I'm trying to do is equip this child and then this teen with a toolbox of skills and experiences and a work ethic, and then they will be released into the world. And this will happen way before high school because you can't control their effort at practice. It needs to be coming from within them and you can drive them to practice you can make them practice you can make them do doubles but you can't make them train and we we already see this around 14 15 in swimming um kids have been at it for a long time they're not really into it that much parents won't let them out they've checked out and they're you know that's it so they, they've leveled out and and that's it and that's a really tough thing for a kid to have to deal with in their teens, in high school, when they got all this other stuff going on in their social life, they're trying to figure out who they are in the larger world. So these high pressure parents are actually setting their children up for failure, not for success, because you have to give the child room to grow at every level. And then when they're an adult, they will have the ability, if they want to Mm -hmm. take themselves to the next level in an area, that they wanna take themselves. And I think this is really important to remember if you have very high goals for your children. And, and my goal is not to limit them. My goal isn't for them to do anything, it's to have them do. And you know, if, if I got a president of the United States and a gold medalist and a CEO living in the house, I don't wanna limit where they can take themselves but i don't really care about pushing them i just want mm-hmm. to be the, i i want them to be at grade level and and i and i and i think as a society we waste a tremendous amount of resources on big name sports and the Mm. college education system and the only way we were able to do that is by the amount of money that we put in by consuming the products and the government puts in by subsidizing debt and subsidizing the whole system and the cities put in with the stadiums and all this but Mm. that's a cultural decision i don't have to play that game with my family i can be aware of it and make my kids aware of it and then praise them on the things that i value and i believe Mm.
0: And see where that goes. And one of my great reflections or insights is that I had far less influence than I thought I did throughout the various years of parenting young people. And so you get really wrapped up trying to trying to do everything the right way, and then you realize that they're their own creatures and they're going to follow their own path, even if you make the perfect speech or you show them the perfect environment. Um, and so that kind of takes some pressure off the parents, I think.
1: Yeah, they're they're always watching. They don't really care what I say, although the, they'll mm. be polite and listen to me. They just want to know what I do. Mm. So my actions, my choices, you know, um my decision to exercise every morning, my decision not to drink alcohol, my decision not to smoke, my decision to eat salads and vegetables and healthy is what is teaching them, not what I'm talking about. It's they are learning from what I do. They're learning from how I treat them, how I treat every person that they see me interact with, and most Mm. importantly, how I treat their mother. Mm. That is probably the central relationship uh, education that they get is via my marriage um, in terms of seeing how that works what a healthy relationship looks like, how we problem solve, what happens when we disagree, all that kind of stuff. They just pick up by living it.
0: No matter what, no matter how hard you try, your your actions are going to be way stronger than your words Free economics mm-hmm. takes it even a step further saying um who you are is more important than what you do and all the research showing uh that you know if being a child of college educated parents is going to have an imprint even if um there's no books in the house and they never get read to by their college educated parents pretty pretty mind-blowing but i think the the, the actions are the the biggest impact. Well, before we wrap up, I want to go back to one thing when you mentioned that t- today to win the Ironman in Hawaii, you have to be dropping a 735. And it's sort of um, mind-blowing to realize, for example, in our era... How hard we worked, how hard we trained, how talented the top athletes were. Um, Scott Molina, your longtime training buddy, was very high performing, uh, swimming and running as as a youngster in, in the in the school years, and then you know a beast on the bike, riding these incredible mileage and putting up these amazing performances, and of course. Um, well, you're going to expect that performances escalate over time. And I know we have some outside variables, such as the improved bicycle that cuts through the wind better. Um, but what are some other things that you think are at play? And you're allowed to say doping and micro dosing with products that help you, but don't uh, that evade detection, because it is quite amazing to see, um, you know, from, from my own reference point, uh, how fast everything has become in uh, in recent years.
1: Well, if I look at the, if I look, you know, the beautiful thing now is we've got all the data. We can look on Strava. Uh, we can look at the power files. We even have like aer- aerodynamic data. We have computer models where you can feed in a picture of the bike set up and we, we can really <laughs> dig into all that. When you start looking at the physiology, it doesn't look totally crazy to me in an Ironman sense. And honestly, until they figure out how to dope fat oxidation, and you know if if somebody comes up with a drug that can triple your fat oxidation during an Iron man, we're going to see some people go really fast, right? Because it's an energy con- it's an energy equation. You're energy constrained in terms of the uptake. so when i when I look at the training programs, when I look at the performances, when I think back, to my own best performances, my own best physiology. I had a very good physiology at my peak for Ironman racing. And I look at that and then I consider, well, I was in my thirties and I came up off the couch. And so I right. had, so if we if we think so, I'm starting. So some of these athletes probably have a cumulative training load of an extra 10,000 hours in terms of where right. I was then it's it's entirely conceivable that someone can go that fast so it's it's not like you know it's not like pro cycling when they put the leader table up and uh, of the best climbs in Mm. france the best times in france and everybody on there that's retired was caught for doping and then the current guys are all mixed in there and they haven't been (laughs) caught it's you know when they do that table you're kind of like you know that that just doesn't look very legit to me because Everybody else is retired was busted. Um, when I look at these Ironman times, they 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 look absolutely feasible to me. Mm. And so there's 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 nothing where I, I say oh, that that's totally outlandish. But the, but the other thing is with this whole there's things that happen in professional sport, all professional sports, that are different than what's going on in elite sport or high performance sport. So, you know, it's, it's personally, it's a game I decided not to play. I I, I didn't want to go that professional route. I was much more comfortable just being an elite and making it about how good I could be mm. relative to the amount that I was willing to put into it. And that would be my recommendation for, for people are some people lousy uh partners are are you know are they are they uh not necessarily some of the nicest people in the world sure but it's like that everywhere and are people bending rules and cutting corners yeah Mm. that happens too but we knew that already the the times themselves don't look particularly uh ridiculous to me they they look legit i i mean it's pretty impressive that they can do it i mean if you think about our era if you think about how fast people went for a half ironman distance Mm. uh, the, the, the best athletes and then just double it, you know, (laughs) you're getting pretty close to how fast everybody's going. They're just, they're just, they've just figured out a way to take that physiology and make it, it doesn't have to last twice as long because everything's kind of gotten a little bit quicker, but it's having to last maybe 75% as long. And it looks reasonable to me. It's, it's pretty impressive. Now, the other thing that's interesting to me is it's been, and this has been gradual over 25 years is the depth. Of the athletes, and what we're seeing is the Olympic movement—the including triathlon in the Olympics—brought a lot of expertise and a lot of talent into triathlon. Fall chasing that Olympic dream, and as we see those athletes move out, so that the first one now we're we're like on the third and fourth wave of those athletes, and they've tended to go short and then go long. But what we're seeing now is better athletes athletes at their prime going long and we're seeing times drop and we're seeing a lot more depth in the fields. And I think, I think they're going to go even quicker because if you look at how competitive the Olympic distance racing is, and if you, if you took that pool of athletes and you turned them loose on nothing but Ironman, they're going to figure out, they're going to figure out how to go faster. Likewise, I would love to see a world-class athlete do an Ultraman distance mm. and and see just how fast somebody could go over that distance. I think we would all be blown away. Yeah. I think it's possible to go really, really fast um, with the right preparation and, and the right athlete doing
0: it. I think oh, it's like Western states, funny. you know, when I used to live. At you the finish line in Auburn, um, yeah. And you know, Ann Trayson got second overall one year, which is one of the greatest female performances ever to to be in the, in the the best race. Uh, but you know, then these guys who are now uh, full time elite performing professional ultra runners mm-hmm. can go knock, knock three hours off the previous record times because they're living and breathing training where tim Tweetwire, my buddy who won six times he was a engineer at hp working a 40 hour week and running at lunchtime so that's pretty obvious how that escalation occurs but um and speaking of fat oxidation when i look at blumenfeld who has a larger frame for an elite endurance athlete and ironman champion um it seems like he could be burning through carbs the entire race in order to run that fast off the bike and um you know something's maybe changed from even the the, the basic physiology uh, insights that we have that you have to get better and better at burning fat and preserving glycogen
1: i you, you know he's a high volume guy i think we're his his data is going to come out in due course and it'll be great to see we're going to learn a lot from studying that Norwegian approach, uh, over the years to come. Uh, I, when I see those athletes and I see the training they can do, uh, I really feel like I was, pr- I was probably, uh, definitely one kilo too light, but maybe two kilos, mm. uh, too light. I had some great races, uh, down in New Zealand when I was racing heavy and my bike power was phenomenal. And mm. by power, I mean, my aerobic power. So I could I could just ride really strong for a long time. Uh, I, I did, you know, at that larger size, if it was a hot day running, I did, uh, I did struggle a bit when I was leaner, I ran great in the heat. Um, but I think, you know, they're very sophisticated in their approach to heat uh, and volume and fueling. And, you know, Scott. Melina has a great uh, uh, saying, and it's like you know, if it was all just about getting super light, they'd have a scale instead of a finish line. So it's it's a <laughs> it, you know it's a multi-variable uh, problem that you got to try and optimize and, and figure out. And I think the Norwegians do a a great job of that, and I'm really looking forward to learning from them uh, mm. in the years to come.
0: Gordo, we have gone across the board, man. It's always a pleasure to connect with you and listen to your insights on so many things. And speaking of that, please explain how we can connect with your wonderful blog writings and the new format in 2023, even for people who are uh, old time readers.
1: Okay. So, thousanddaypacing.com It's just mm. a simple landing page and it's 1000,000 daypacing.com on that page you can see my it'll take you to twitter it'll take you to my youtube channel and there's two publications that i write one's called endurance essentials which covers all the athletic stuff that we've been touching on and then for the family and money stuff what i found was my readership didn't like me mixing it on my blog so i started another sub stack that's called true wealth And that one covers family, finances, and the lessons that I've had over the 30-plus years I've been watching and working for the wealthy. And that's really what that one's about.
0: I kind of liked when you mixed it all in. But I get it. I get it. Okay. We're going to have to sign up for two things now. I don't want you to... Don't just pick one or the other. It's all it's all in with Gordo. So we're gonna go sign up for both of those. Uh, great regular content, and uh, you work so hard to put together a, a short and memorable uh, passages. Which remember that Mark Twain quote? Um, he said, "I was gonna write you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time." That's how he started a letter to a friend. And um, so I, I appreciate your effort so much, and thanks for spending the time today. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Gordo Byrne. Thank you. Say the website again: one
1: thousand one
0: zero 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 thousand day pacing dot Thousand day dot com. All right, everybody. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it. a skilled practitioner puts the gains wave magic wand onto your magic wand. And after a series of six to 12, very brief treatments, which are painless, but extremely effective, you get real results. Gains wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com/brad. I hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet peak performance and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an e-book summary of the primal endurance approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a primal endurance athlete. This mini course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it.